Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zora. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective and we're coming to you live in Johannesburg, South Africa. We are on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19 meter band to West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabiso Luhoko and Figile Ringwati. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, U.S. Secretary of State Rex Tillerson concludes visit to Kenya. Voter registration gets underway in South Africa and African countries urge to do more to protect citizens against diseases. In economics news, South Africa's VBS Mutual Bank placed under curatorship. And in sports news, South Africa's Sevens rugby team finished third in Vancouver. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. Sierra Leone's poll looks set for a second round with 55%, rather 75% of the results counted. The main opposition leader, Julius Madabayo, candidate of the Sierra Leone People's Party, is in a slight lead with 43.3% of the vote against ruling All People's Congress candidate and former Foreign Minister Samura Kamara's 42.6%. Bayo, a former junta leader, was about 15,000 votes ahead. The other two main candidates, Kenda Yamkela, a former United Nations Undersecretary, and Samuel Sam Sumana, were on 7% and 3.4% respectively. There are 12 other minor candidates. Officials in Rwanda say at least 16 people have been killed and dozens more injured after bolts of lightning struck a church. 14 of the victims were killed instantly when the lightning hit the Seventh-day Adventist church. Two others died later from the injuries. The local mayor says 140 people were rushed to hospital, but many had already been discharged. Of those injured, three are in a critical condition. The deaths of nine civilians in Ethiopia's rest of Oromia region, home to its largest ethnic group, was reportedly due to an accidental shooting by soldiers. State media reports that soldiers opened fire on the civilians near the town of Moyele on the southern border with Kenya after mistaking them for members of the banned Oromo Liberation Front who were attempting to sneak into the country. Five soldiers involved in the shooting have been jailed. The shooting was the latest episode of violence in the region of ethnic Oromos, which has been a hotbed of anti-government sentiment since protests broke out there in late 2015. South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa says he's pleased that his Kenyan counterpart Uhuru Kenyatta and opposition leader Raila Odinga have agreed to a unity accord. He says the pair's decision to put their country first is a good example of excellent leadership. On Friday, Kenyatta and Odinga presented a surprising united front ahead of the visit by U.S. Secretary of State Rex Tillerson. The two opposing leaders had been at loggerheads since last year's elections, which also led to violence and loss of life. Ramaphosa says it's encouraging to see the two leaders coming together. What happened between President Kenyatta and uh, Raila uh, Odinga is most pleasing and we support it completely and we hope that they are able to consolidate 
the solution of their problems and the peace that they have struck. And as chair of uh, SADC, I could not be more pleased than to see how we Africans come up with African solutions to resolve problems that we may have amongst our people. And finally, China has removed the presidential term limits from its constitution, allowing the current leader Xi Jinping to remain in power indefinitely. For decades, Chinese presidents have served for 10 years before passing power to the next generation. The BBC's John Sidworth has the details. Xi Jinping had been the first to cast a ballot in favour of the constitutional change, which potentially makes him president for life. China was once thought to have solved the problem facing all undemocratic states, how to handle leadership successions, and the two-term limit helped to ensure orderly, regular handovers of power. This change removes that certainty and raises big questions about the exercise of power in the world's second-largest economy. And that's the news headlines at 8.30 Central African Time. Thank you, and it's 8.05 Central African time, and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. The United States Secretary of State Rex Tillerson has concluded a visit to Kenya, his first stop on a five-nation African tour. Tillerson is also expected to visit Chad, Djibouti, Ethiopia, and Nigeria. This marks the first time that the United States Secretary of State is visiting Africa since Donald Trump became U.S. President. James Mangula has more. While on the Kenyan visit, the United States Secretary of State Rex Tillerson informed the Nairobi authorities that the U.S. was happy with the cordial relations it has with Kenya, the leading economic hub in the East African region. We're eager to find more ways to work with you to grow our economic cooperation. Today, both of these men showed great leadership in coming together in the agreement that they signed today. And the United States looks forward to supporting the process that was announced to bring the country together and to address the various national divisions. We commend the government's Big Four Economic Growth Initiative and look forward to deepening the ties between American and Kenyan business communities to support this effort. Shedding light on the United States' commitment to Kenya, Tillerson was emphatic when he pointed out this factor. Our commitment is not to one party, but to all of the Kenyan people. It has been very supportive of Kenya's journey moving forward after what's been a difficult election period. The United States Secretary of State Rex Tillerson's visit to Kenya coincided with an expected historic and rare bond of brotherhood between President Uhuru Kenyatta and the veteran opposition chief Raila Odinga. The Kenyan duos vowed to work together, caught Kenyan and international observers by surprise. The observers never expected that the two top political leaders would one day unite after plunging the country into deep ethnic division following two successive presidential elections, one which was annulled by the Supreme Court and a repeat poll that saw Uhuru Kenyatta emerge victorious after Raila Odinga opted to boycott it. Raila Odinga argued that he would not be party to an election that was, as he put it, to be rigged. Odinga went to the extent 
of not even recognizing Kenyatta as the legitimate president of Kenya. The newfound bond of brotherhood coupled with rare unity was welcomed by the United States Secretary of State Rex Tillerson. We were very, very encouraged and pleased to see the two leaders come together. But I think we really want to give them the credit. This was very important, I think, uh, action on their part to show that they're ready to work on behalf of all Kenyans, regardless of party, and begin to really take this long journey that's necessary to restore the country, eliminate these divisions that are creating obstacles to Kenya's future. That was the United States Secretary of State, Rex Tillerson, who has just concluded an official visit to Kenya, the first stop of his five-nation African tour. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shimanyula. It's 8.08 Central African time, and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg on this Monday, March the 12th, the 71st day of 2018, with 294 days left in the year. Now, Cameroonian authorities say they have dismantled a network of child traffickers responsible for dozens of abductions in the region over the past several months. The network is said to have extended into neighboring Gabon, Equatorial Guinea and Chad. Moki Kinzaka reports from Kiosi in southern Cameroon, where angry residents have torched a hotel owned by the alleged traffickers. Hundreds of people are still visiting the neighborhood where an inn was raised last Tuesday by angry residents of Cameroon's southern town of Kiosi on the border with Gabon and Equatorial Guinea. 39-year-old Vanessa Nzali is among those who arrived on Friday. She says she had traveled about 280 kilometers from Cameroon capital Yaoundé when she heard that unidentified children had been found there by Cameroon police. She says she immediately decided to travel to Kiosi to see if her missing 11-year-old daughter was among the children. Elle était partie à la source pour puiser l'eau. Elle a vu une voiture. Il me dit qu'il avait quatre hommes. Nzali says four months ago she returned home from work and was informed by her neighbors that her daughter went to fetch water from a well and four men forced her into their car and drove off. She says her neighbors also told her there was a baby crying in the car. Kwetong Henderson Konge, the most senior Cameroon government official in the Ntem Valley Administrative Unit that includes Kiosi says the inn was raised after a car belonging to its owner was found with three dead children aged two, four, and seven years old. At about 2 p.m., their parents started looking for them and could not find them. These children had been kidnapped by some suspects who took them into an inn deep down in the quarter in Kiosi. They administered some toxic product and these children went off. They now put these children inside bags and tied them and put all of them in the back boot of the vehicle. Henderson says 15 people suspected to be members of a network of child kidnappers operating in Cameroon, Gabon and Equatorial Guinea were arrested when investigations were opened. 
In 2016, the Yaoundé-based Interpol Office for Central African States reported that thousands of children, alongside men and women, were forcibly abducted in Cameroon, Chad, Central African Republic, Gabon, Equatorial Guinea, and the Republic of Congo to be used as combatants, cooks, guards, sex partners, servants, messengers, and spies. Patricia Astor of the local non-governmental organization Children's Rights says child kidnapping has increased in Central African states because many childless couples and mothers are ready to buy from the black market. She says some are forced to serve as commercial sex workers while others are recruited or kidnapped and then transported to faraway places where they are forced to work as pickpockets beggars and drug transporters. Asta says within the past several months, at least 26 cases of abductions have been reported to her NGO with parents saying their children either were tricked, forced, or persuaded to leave. She says they also have had cases of children who were held for ransom. She says they have decided to educate parents to be very vigilant and they are asking all victims to join their association lawyers in legal processes that will protect and free children from predators who are out to destroy mainly naive teenagers. She says it is her wish to see to it that all child traffickers are punished. Cameroon, according to the 2012 Trafficking in Persons Report of the U.S. State Department, also is a source, transit, and destination country for children subjected to forced labor and sex trafficking. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzuka in QC, Cameroon. Let's go back in time to today in 1988. South Africa's government bans church-led opposition group headed by Archbishop Desmond Tutu as a threat to public safety. That's today in history in the year 1988. It's 8.14 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Now for feedback and questions relating to our show, tweet us at Rise Shine Africa or at Channel Africa 1. You can also send an SMS on 277-969-57930 or WhatsApp message to 277-6300-3327 or email us at info at channelafrica.co.za. Channel Africa, from an African perspective. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. 
The United Nations Food and Agricultural Organization, FAO, says Pan-African Parliament has a crucial role to play in ensuring that youth-focused policies and programs are implemented in an exclusive manner in order to achieve zero-hunger target by the year 2030. The two organizations have renewed their partnership in a bid to ensure that significant numbers of young people on the continent actively participate in efforts to combat food insecurity. Last year, FAO launched its global internship, volunteers and fellows programs that harnesses contribution of young people in fighting hunger and malnutrition. Kazumi Ikeda Lahed, Deputy Director for Partnerships and South South Corporation Division at FAO has more on the collaboration between the two organizations. We had an excellent exchange with the honorable members of uh, different committees of the Pan-African Parliament today in Nijran in South Africa. So uh, Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations, FAO, we have launched a global internship, volunteers and fellows program last year in July. And last year we had 88 African interns from 32 African countries and two volunteers from two African countries. But the SAO believes that uh, we can do much more to increase and uh, diverse the participation from the uh, member countries of the Pan-African Parliament. So what we discussed uh, today is to really uh, look for a way to launch the Pan-African platform to uh, harness the youth uh, engagement to work with us. To, to achieve zero hunger and then to establish Africa and Africa as a continent free from hunger and malnutrition. So oh, this is a, a very exciting opportunity of excellent partnership between SAO and the Pan-African Parliament. Now there are many challenges still impeding food security on the continent such as climate change as well as conflicts. What role can parliamentarians play in terms of combating uh, food insecurity on the continent? Uh, Pan-African Parliament has uh, absolutely critical role to play in terms of uh, policy making and also implementation, resource allocation and also oversight uh, in terms of ensuring that the resources are best used to achieve a development goals such as end hunger. So uh, Pan-African Parliament has uh, extremely uh, important and also um, essential critical role and that's, that's why the uh, SAO we would very much like to strengthen our collaboration with the members of the, the Pan-African Parliament and uh, so uh, of course they link the continental aspirations in terms of achieving a different sustainable development goals such as end hunger to their national constituencies and also they have the leadership policy leadership to set uh, legislative framework and also uh, making sure that uh, different stakeholders are mobilized to achieve their national, sub-regional and also continental development uh, targets. Now you mentioned earlier that uh, you have launched what is known as the Global Internship uh, Volunteers and Fellows Programs to mobilize youth to achieve zero hunger target. Has there been any enthusiasm on the part of the young people to participate in this program? Oh yes, I can tell you, I can give you some numbers to really demonstrate this enthusiasm as you asked. 
So last year for internship opportunity, we received 10,000 10, applicants, but uh, they actually only 260 interns got uh, the opportunity. So you can imagine how competitive this program is. And uh, that was only for several months. So this year, we are looking for full year implementation, so we can easily expect to double the number of applicants. And so we are uh, poised to scale up this program. Now, you also say that uh, given their legislative, budgetary, and oversight responsibilities, the Pan-African Parliament members have a special role to play in ensuring that youth-focused policies and programs are implemented in an inclusive manner. But the biggest Mm -hmm. challenge here has always been this issue of implementation. How are you going to make sure that these policies are fully implemented? Yes, so SAO, we are the specialized agency of the United Nations. So we can bring in uh, vast knowledge and also proven uh, knowledge and also salsa cooperation. And uh, also uh, we have uh, uh, very deep uh, expertise uh, over a number of uh, relevant technical areas. So we can offer our technical cooperation through our expertise to support the implementation of the, the policies at the national, sub-regional, and also continental level. So this is what the SAO is mandated to do. Young people on the continent uh, continue to migrate uh, from rural to urban areas as well as mm-hmm. international destinations where they often become refugees. No doubt mm-hmm. here that more effort is needed to transform rural economies, uh, but the challenge is uh, that of urbanization, uh, isn't it? Yes, uh, you know that the urbanization we need to really look into the root causes. Because of the lack of opportunities for young people in the rural areas, they do not have any other choice to go to the urban centers. It's not, uh, you know, what uh, they prefer because many youth uh, they prefer to stay in their own uh, home communities and then contribute to the development of their own home communities. So what we need to do uh, together with the Pan-African Parliament is really to create new opportunities in the rural community. And so we often talk about the reinvigoration and also the modernization of the food and agriculture sector. And for that, I think technology can uh, be uh, a great uh, leverage to support this. That was Kazumi Ikeda Lared from FAO on the line from Johannesburg in South Africa speaking to Kumbela Munjalele. Hi, I'm Pule Mulebati, the presenter of the Albinism Report, a program that demystifies myths and mysticism on albinism, highlighting challenges and achievements of people with albinism. Tune into the Albinism Report on the following times, Monday, 5 past 9 in the morning to quarter to 10 Central African time, and from 5 past 10 to quarter to 11 Central African time. Tuesday at 5 past 2 in the morning to quarter to 3 Central African time. The Albinism Report, an enlightened narrative with me, Ule Mulebati, on Channel Africa from an African perspective. Let's go back in time to today. In 1966, General Suharto is sworn in as acting president of Indonesia after President Sukarno is stripped of authority. That's today in history in the year 1966.
It's 8.23 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa says he is humbled by interest shown by ordinary South Africans to check and confirm their registration details during the voter registration drive at the weekend. Ramaphosa spent the last two days in Soweto and Tswane, encouraging people to register ahead of the 2019 national election. The president was accompanied by Gauteng Province Premier David Makura and other ANC officials in the province. Ndebo Mokobo went along and filed this report. It's been a hectic weekend for President Cyril Ramaphosa, who crisscrossed some parts of Gauteng to potential voters to register for the 2019 national elections and for those who are already on the voters' roll to check and confirm their details. After losing both Johannesburg and Tswane during the 2016 local elections, the ANC is not taking any chance. It took advantage of the euphoria that came with Ramaphosa's election as party president to position itself as the party of choice come 2019. From Soweto to Tswane, Ramaphosa was warmly welcomed with ordinary people jostling to get a glimpse of him on the streets, in shopping malls and in informal settlements. And the president said this was humbling. I went to a number of voting stations and I came across a lot of enthusiasm. Our people are filled with hope and wherever I went, they said, this is a new dawn. They were all saying, Tumatina. Send us wherever you want because we are now energized and we want to contribute to the development and the success of our country. And I guess they will be able to do so having registered. When we vote next year, they will be participating enthusiastically. The president has also appreciated an interest amongst first-time voters, especially young people who are often accused of voter apathy. I heard from a number of voting stations that uh, they had a number of new registrations, which is a very positive sign that shows that this new mood that has been generated in the country, the mood of renewal, is actually yielding really good benefits for our country. And this prevailed right across the board, both black, white, Indians and so-called colors were participating in a very, very positive demonstration of their patriotism. But his two-day ticker tape tour of Johannesburg and Tswane was not without a challenge. He was greeted by protesting residents in Olive and Holt Bosch Township. Okay, report and I heard the report I listened very carefully. Residents were protesting against poor service delivery. They say crime and corruption are rife in their area and are now demanding the removal of two of their councillors. Last week they had running battles with police over electricity blackout. Danny Somagadikwa says their situation is bad. Our concern here is crime. Look at our township is very dirty. And then we've got people that they're taking law in their hands. So we don't even have police station. Our police, they don't even assist us with anything. If you call them maybe for any complaint, they don't even come. Basic services are very bad. And we're paying services, but we don't get what we're supposed to get as human beings. We are next to the suburbs. Electricity can go here like two days, three days, but when you look up there by the suburbs, there's electricity. They don't take us serious as a human beings here. They must just come with a solid thing. Really, a lot of taverns better than clinics here. 
and not far away from where the president and his entourage were. Some residents were illegally occupying land, but Ramaphosa says land grab will not be allowed. That's a clear sign of disorder, and we've all agreed that South Africa is a country of rule of law. And all of us agree that we should not tolerate disorder and lawlessness of that type. However anybody wants to advance their interests and their rights, nobody has any right to invade land, to violate other people's rights. He has since instructed Premier David Makura to convene a community meeting in the area on Thursday to address some of the challenges. As we always say, there is no problem without a solution. As government, we are going to solve this problem. So on Thursday, we are going to come here, our Premier himself, as a community, you must know where we are serious. We want to solve problems. This is a new era. Wherever there are problems, we are going to address them very quickly and immediately. As the acting chairperson of the ANC in Gauteng, Makurens Juan original chairperson Kosien Zoramokopa will be in Olivon Hout Bosch on Wednesday to deal with some of the problems relating to the ANC in the area. I am Tebumokobo in Tswane. Attention to our listeners. From the 30th of October 2017, the first hour of Africa Digest will not be broadcast on Channel 802 on the DSTV audio bouquet. The 1700-hours show will only be found on shortwave and online on www.channelafrica.co.za. Please note that this only applies to the 1700-hours Central African Time show. The 1900-hour Central African Time program will be back on all the platforms. Channel Africa, giving you an African perspective. Our headlines up next with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musan. The headline Sierra Leone's poll set for a second round with 75% of the results counted. At least 16 people have been killed and dozens more injured in Rwanda after bolts of lightning struck a church. And South African President Cyril Ramaphosa is pleased that his Kenyan counterpart Uhuru Kenyatta and opposition leader Raila Odinga have agreed to a unity accord. Those are the stories making headlines. Thank you, Anne. It is 8.31 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Our South Africans took to polling stations this weekend to register and update their address details in preparation for the 2019 national and provincial election. The Independent Electoral Commission had placed more than 73,000 election officials in over 22,000 voting stations across the country to assist with registrations. For more on this, we are now joined on the line by Kate Babela, spokesperson at the IEC. Good morning, Kate, and thank you so much for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine. 
good morning, Lily, and the rest of the listeners. Kate, how would you say the overall registration this weekend went? The overall registration uh, went extremely well. There was a lot of enthusiasm across uh, South Africa, and um, our officials were out in their numbers to ensure that they work and serve South Africans. We had uh, political parties going all over the country, encouraging uh, uh, voters to come and update their addresses on the voters' roll. As you may recall, that the 2016 Constitutional Court ruling still stands. Uh, June 2018 is our deadline for ensuring that every voter on the voters' roll has got an address. So um, it was a crucial weekend for our country. And also uh, we are uh, encouraging upcoming register, uh, voters to come and register. That means that any South African uh, 16 years up was when they received their IDs, they can then register as voters. So it was a very successful weekend. We had a lot of South Africans also posting on their social media pages. So a whole lot of people were out and ensuring that this registration weekend becomes a very important one for our country. Now, Kate, will there be another opportunity for um, voters to to register and to uh, check their addresses on the voters' roll for the ones that missed out on the past weekend's activity? The ones that missed out, they still have an opportunity on our online, the address portal. It's live on our website. They can go there and ensure that the addresses are correct and then submit to the IEC so that opportunity is still open. And we also have our offices for the people that want to register to vote. They can go to our offices. Every office in this country, every municipality in South Africa has got an IEC office. And then they can go there and and, and, and continue to register to vote. And also, if you're not sure where where is your correct voting station or where where, where you can where you, your local municipal office is, we have got our contact center, which is still open, zero eight hundred eleven eight thousand. And um, so that those are the facilities that are available to South Africans. And also our contact our I, uh, SMS number, if you want to check your registration details. You SMS your ID to 32810. But in terms of a, an overall a massive a registration weekend like we've had in the past weekend, that is still yet to be determined. We're still docking our machines coming out of the registration weekend. Uh, if all goes well, we're hoping that by around Wednesday, we'll be informing all South Africans at a press briefing on how the weekend fared, how many people changed the addresses, how many, many people confirmed the addresses how many people still we need on the voters' roll. Because remember, we, we are still seeing about 2.8 million addresses. So that's, that's a number that we'll be checking how far have we gone in terms of achieving and, 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 and ensuring that all of, all of those people have submitted addresses to the IEC. Now, Case, let's speak about the disruptions that took place at some of the um, registration stations or, or, or voter uh, registration stations, for instance, in, in places like Vuani, which was sort of expected. But uh, just take us through um, the reaction and what's going to happen going forward for people in, that, in those areas um, to ensure that they are also um, on the voters' roll. As an organization, we continuously engage within communities where we've got difficulties or where, because remember, the problems of one in which they are being labeled as service delivery problems are not necessarily issues that are within the mandate of the Electoral Commission. So therefore, we'll pursue our discussions with the community of Wani, and which is within the Vendor District, just to say that 
this is where we stand because the third party is that once you miss registration, come 2019, there is no way that you can participate in an election because once within the election, elections come table, we close a voter's door for that particular election. It doesn't matter how many millions of people come to register to vote. It's too late. They'll have to wait for the next election. So all of those engagements will continue to, 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 to talk to the community and just pursue them and, and, and then see how these discussions go. We're hoping that within uh, those communities we'll be, here, we'll be able to be given an opportunity to talk to them and, and see how best we can manage this situation before we officially close the voters hall as we prepare for the 2019 uh, national and provincial elections. Speaking of closing the official voters roll, when are you likely to do that? Has a date been confirmed? No, not yet. We, our, 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 the, the, the date will be um, proclaimed by the president. Our job is to, on, is to work on the term elections timetable, where we know that this is the time when political parties register to participate, to contest in an election. When are they submitting their candidates? When is the voters all closing? All of those things. Often with every election, we will publish the elections timetable on time, but also in the end we will come back to the show and discuss the elections timetable, how it's structured, what are the key dates to look out for. So when that happens, that moment is still coming. At the moment, we are still trying to ensure that the voters are is as credible as possible, as clean as possible, so that as we start preparing that aspect of the of elections, which is the timetable, because at that point will all, almost be on, on deadline for an election. It's normally quite close to an election when we start working on the elections timetable. That's why now we're spending a lot of time to ensure that we encourage South Africans to register to vote, to check the addresses, so that come that time we're not under pressure and uh, to ensure that everybody's on the roll. Kate, we look forward to getting an update from you once your briefing has taken place as the IEC on Wednesday, as we mentioned earlier. And uh, once those developments are in place, at least we'll be able to get more information from from you with regards to the number of new uh, uh, voters who are registered. um, And, uh, you know, once if if the addresses were done correctly and so on. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll leave it there for now. Thank you for your continued support. And that was Kate Babela, spokesperson at the South African Independent Electoral Commission, joining us on the line, just giving us an update of uh, the voter registration, voter registration weekend that took place um, over the weekend. Let us all unite and celebrate together. This is indeed a joyous night. We are delighted by the overwhelming support for the African National Congress. To the people of South Africa and the world, this is indeed a joyous night for the human spirit. Your help and apathy. This year, 2018, marks 100 years since the birth of South Africa's first democratically elected president, Nelson Kholihlahla Mandela. Join Channel Africa, South Africa's international public service radio station, as we celebrate a centenary of the life and times of Madiba. Join us in a year-long broadcast campaign in honor of Nelson Mandela's legacy through a variety of informative radio programs. Channel Africa, celebrating 100 years of Nelson Mandela from an African perspective. Let us make 
It's 8.39 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Now, Premier of South Africa's Northwest Province, Supra Mahumapilo, says there is a political onslaught in the province aimed at unseating him from his position. Mahumapilo was reacting after police raided his offices and those of the Provincial Finance Department in search of documents related to alleged irregularities. Mahumapilo, who is also the Northwest ANC chairperson, says the party leadership in the province has discussed this matter and will inform the public soon. Patrick Dindwa has the details. The insinuations by Premier Mahumapelo on a plot to unseat him from his position stems from the ongoing revelations of alleged fraud and corruption within some provincial departments. Premier Mahumapelo says even though his administration has resolved and committed on the fight against greed, corruption and crime, there are those who are hell-bent in plotting his downfall. We are going to convene uh, at some point a detailed briefing we had the discussions on Monday in the officials and the PC about a political onslaught on this particular province. What the ANC will do in the province is to take in confidence at the right time on how this political onslaught is manifesting. Mahumapelo says there are even those who are involved in a plan to assassinate him. He, however, says he will also at the right time expose them. At the right time, not now. I will release detail of a public servant in the Department of Health who for the last eight months is alleged to be involved in this plot to make sure that the premier is removed from this planet. It seems it's not only those belonging to the ruling party structures that want to see Mahumapelo vacating his position. Even opposition parties in the province are calling for his head. Last week, the EFF has written to the provincial legislature speaker requesting her to allow a debate on a motion of no confidence against Mahumapelo. The DA in the province has since indicated its support for the move. EFF's Petidiale and DA Joe McClure. We take it the center is not holding in the province. We take it the premier has a lot of misconduct. We feel the premier must be put aside. Let's have a, a proper acting premier in the province in the meantime, pending elections. As the DA in terms of what is happening within the northwest province, we will most definitely support such a motion. Because for us, it's about the elephant in the room, and that is not only the premier of this province, but also the ANC itself. Political analyst from the Northwest University, Professor Andre Duvinhage, believes the pressure inserted on Premier Mahumapelo might force him to leave office. I believe the pressure on Mr. Mahumapelo is on the increase to the extent that the pressure will end up in a scenario where he may leave at the end of the day. At this point in time, we know there is a lot of pressure within the structures of the ANC, but there are also pressure coming from other areas thinking about the walks and the investigation with regard to Premier Subaramamopelo. Meanwhile, Duvinage also believes that an intended motion of no confidence against Mahumapelo by opposition parties may not succeed as the majority of the ANC members in the legislature will not vote in favor of it. I am Patrick Dintua in Mahikeng.
It's 8.43 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on the frequencies 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. Now going back in time to today in 1930, Indian political and spiritual leader Mohandas K. Gandhi begins a 320-kilometer march to protest the British tax on salt. That's today in history in the year 1930. Hi, I'm Pule Mulebazi, the presenter of the Albinism Report, a program that demystifies myths and mysticism on albinism, highlighting challenges and achievements of people with albinism. Tune into the Albinism Report on the following times. Monday, 5 past 9 in the morning to quarter to 10 Central African time. And from 5 past 10 to quarter to 11 Central African time. Tuesday at 5 past 2 in the morning to quarter to 3 Central African time. The Albinism Report, an enlightened narrative with me, Ule Mulebat, on Channel Africa from an African perspective. It's 8.45 Central African time and our economics update up next with Tabiso Lohoko. Thanks, Ludu, and good morning. The South African Reserve Bank has warned that it's likely that some depositors with Limpopo province-based vendor Building Bank Society may not get their money immediately. The central bank announced that VPS was being placed under curatorship to address a growing risk of liquidity. VBS made headlines in 2016 when it granted a former President Jacob Zuma a loan after he ordered he was ordered, rather, by the Constitutional Court to pay back part of the money for his and Gandla private residence upgrades. Registrar of banks at the South African Reserve Bank, Akuben Naidu, explains the position of depositors at VBS. Small depositors with deposits of less than 50,000 rand should be able to access their money um, overnight, immediately. It is likely that the curator will have to put in place a plan to manage the liquidity situation going forward. So it is quite likely that all depositors will not be able to get their money immediately. The curator will have to take the interests of creditors into account and will have to, over a period of time, put in place an operational plan to essentially remedy the liquidity crisis that the bank is in. Foreign investors say they're ready to bring their business to the garden route to following an investment conference at George in South Africa's Western Cape province. The conference attracted delegations from Singapore, Sweden and China. The region is already a leader in sectors such as agriculture, timber, oil and gas. Stefan Arbring from Business Sweden explains. We're here and to, uh, to state that there's a formal commitment from Sweden, from the uh, from, uh, Swedish company, to actually engage, not just short-term, long-term. And we see uh, this area of South Africa uh, that has potential and the willingness, not just from the political angle, it's also from the business. 
Elosoto Mining Company, led by Prime Minister Tom Tabanissan Butlako, is in the final stages of prospecting for gems and expects to begin full-scale diamond mining operations in Tuting before the end of the year. Diamond mining in the country is currently dominated by foreign firms, with government retaining a minority shareholding in the mining ventures. Mountain Star Holdings, which also has interests in sandstone querying, was formed formally to introduce uh, to the community by the Minister of Mining, Gegezo during a recent public gathering. Players in Kenya's telecommunications industry have started discussions on the rollout of advanced mobile networks despite underutilization of existing technologies. The Communications Authority of Kenya and the ICT Ministry are steering discussions on the rollout of fifth-generation 5G networks. Broadcasting and Telecommunications Ministry says the rollout of the advanced 5G network will contribute to further growth of the ICT sector. The U.S. dollar trades at 11.79 to the South African rand. It's at 9.45 in Botswana and at 9.64 in Zambia. 72 pence to the British pound, 81 cents to the euro. Gold is trading at $1,322, platinum $963 an ounce. The price of Brent crude oil is at $65.60 a barrel. It's Channel Africa. A sports update up next with Figile Lingwati. First up in our sports update, we begin with uh, hockey news. South African women hockey player Stefani Baxter says their goal at the coming upcoming Commonwealth Games in Australia is to finish in the top three or four. South Africa has been to the five Commonwealth Games finishing in fourth place twice in 2010 and 2014. They finished in fifth place in 1998 and 2002, as well as in eighth place in 2006. Baxter is looking for a podium finish this time around our goal is to come top three top four hopefully so we're putting a lot of preparation into this i mean last year has been such a huge year for the hockey in general for, especially for the girls so we're hoping to going to come games and just put on our best performance and come top four the field hockey tournament will be held from the 5th until the 14th of next month south africa is one of the 10 nations that have qualified for the games and South Africa has also been to six World Cup tournaments with position number seven with a best finish in 1998. The team has been playing in mini tournaments with the teams in Pretoria, Johannesburg and Pochestrum in the Northwest in preparation for the Games. This according to Baxter. We are playing in a mini tournament coming up for the next three weekends. We're playing some club teams in Johannesburg and um, Pretoria and, uh, and Potchefstroom. So that's our preparation. We are on camp for three weeks now. And then, um, yeah, we have three massive games before common games start. So just preparation and then going straight into competition. On to rugby news. The Springbok Sevens team continued with their consistent performances at the HSBC Canada Sevens, finishing third in the 2018 edition, played at the BC Place in Vancouver. 
South Africa finished runners-up in 2016 and 2017. The podium finish helped South Africa to maintain their overall lead in the HSBC World Rugby 7 Series, although Fiji, who won in Vancouver, closed the gap slightly on the Blitzbox. The Blitzbox arrived in Vancouver with a 10-point advantage over New Zealand in second place, but now lead Fiji by 8 points, following the two North American legs of the World Series. The remaining tournaments are in Hong Kong, Singapore, London, and Paris. And in golf news, Ashley Buhai wrote her name in the record books of the Investec South African Women's Open once again, thanks to a two-stroke victory at Westlake Golf Club in Cape Town. The only amateur to win the national championship twice and the youngest champion to boot Buhai fired a flawless final round of 67 to realize a dream she's nurtured since she joined the pro ranks in 2007. Um, this one's very special. I've always wanted to win it as a professional and um, you know, I've had a lot of pressure on my back. I think the last few years, every time I tee it up in the expectation and it feels great to finally deliver. With the event having been moved from its original venue, Atlantic Beach Country Club, to Westlake due to the Cape Town water crisis, nothing was to take the glow and shine of the event. And Buhai says she's proud to have won the $169,000 showpiece. Uh, no matter what country from you, you want to be able to lift that title. And um, having won it twice, you know, as an amateur, it was, it was a bit crazy, actually, I think. For the first time I won it, I was 14. Um, but the older you get, the more you realize what it means to you. And um, now to finally win it as professional, I'm very chuffed. That's the Sport News this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorba. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories in Africa, rise and shine at the Sawa, U.S. Secretary of State Rex Tillerson concludes visit to Kenya and the voter registration got underway in South Africa. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumutara Magaza and Khomuto Mopulane, technical producer Revelino Ibrahim, and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at infochannelafrica.co.za or tweet us at RiseShineAfrica or send an SMS on 277-969-57930 or WhatsApp on 277-6300-3327. Are taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 7230 kilohertz on the 41 meter band to southern africa is zahara with a song titled mandel talipunga telagufa matiba ngolomsila